So are you excited about 2023 finally? Hearing Wade's wonderful presentation and seeing the great potential that we have uh, as a church family and the great job and work and ministry and service that God has for us to do, we know that He will provide the means for us to do it. He'll provide the people that we need. He'll provide the monetary blessings that we need because He always has. And you have always responded. And so I would imagine, Wade, that the elders will have to meet to discuss what are we going to do with all this extra money. And that's the typical problem that our church family gives to our leaders. And what a great blessing that is. You know, before we get to 2023, we've got some holidays coming up still. We've got Christmas Day and New Year's Day. And you may not have heard this yet, but Christmas Day is on a Sunday. Did you know that? I have a feeling that you did. Could there be any more perfect opportunity for us to invite someone to a church service than Christmas Day, when the world celebrates the birth of Christ, the great event that brings about the great event of our salvation? What an incredible opportunity to invite someone to come and hear that story once again and sing those wonderful songs once again with your church family here at West Irwin. Gary will be leading our songs and they will be from that story of the book, birth of Christ. I'll be sharing a kid's time and a sermon time that talks about that nativity story and tells that story once again. I'm kind of tempted, I gotta say, I'm kind of tempted to get my little security blanket and dress like Linus and come up here and do that. I've just got to say, and if you don't know that story, Google Peanuts Christmas Special and you'll be able to see it because it is a classic. It is wonderful. But I hope that you're inviting someone. I hope that you plan to be here if you're in town. And uh, the, the New Year's Day sermon is going to be the God of the Fresh Start. And so I think that I'm excited. I know that I'm excited. I hope that you are as well about the Sundays coming up, including Christmas Day on December 25th. Going places is the theme for the last sermons of this year. We're all going places. We always go. We were talking in our Bible class time about the hectic, crazy schedule that we keep in the world that we live in. And so we're always going places. And I wanted to share a few sermons over the next few weeks about this theme of going places. First of all, going from sin to salvation. That's what we'll be talking about today. Secondly, going from sorrow to joy. Next Sunday on December 18th, we'll have this glorious special contribution. And we're also going to have a special ministry highlight. Our Eric Mosley is putting that together. And it's not just going to be about one particular event, but it's going to take a look back at 2022 and share a lot of wonderful things and pictures and memories of the great things that this church has accomplished and done this year of 2022. So I'm really looking forward to that. Eric will be sharing, uh, uh, or rather, Tuck, uh, Eric will be sharing next week at our communion time. And he'll be sharing about this year that's gone by. Tucker will be sharing our communion thoughts on Christmas Day. And so I'm super excited about uh, the next few weeks, especially that uh, December 18th, and the wonderful opportunity to share about going from sorrow to joy. We'll talk a little bit about that today and more, of course, next week. And then finally on Christmas Day, going from heaven to earth. 
that trip that Jesus took. This is a, this is a discussion not about a trip that we take, not, a, not about a place that we go, but rather it's about the trip that Jesus himself took. It's about the place that Jesus, the Son of God himself, went. When he left heaven and took upon humanity, and not just humanity in general, but a servant, a baby, a child, in a poor family. And so we celebrate that wonderful night in Bethlehem 2,000 years or so ago when the Son of God came to earth and it was announced in the heavens and he was worshipped on the earth and nothing has been the same since. Going from heaven to earth. We begin today with our own very important trip, going from sin to salvation. And I hope that you've taken that trip. And if you haven't, I hope that the words that we share today will get you to thinking about that once again. This place where we seek to go is the answer to the question, what must I do to be saved? That question is asked and answered several times in Scripture. And basically what that question is asking is, how do I get from sin to salvation? I want to go to that place. That's what we're speaking about today. It begins with the gospel of Christ. What is the gospel of Christ, Bill? Well, it's what Dale Blackstone came up here and shared in a remarkable way just a few moments ago as we gathered around the table that celebrates the gospel every Sunday. It is the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. And that death, burial, and resurrection of Christ was affirmed by appearances of Jesus that he showed himself Two people in the very city where he had been killed, in the very city where he had been buried, and showed himself very much alive for weeks. Weeks. And so it's just an incredible, incredible story. The death of Jesus on the cross for our sins, his burial in the tomb owned by Joseph of Arimathea, a rich man who was a member of the Sanhedrin, the Jewish ruling council, and became ceremonially unclean as he took Jesus' body down from the cross, helped by another member of that council, Nicodemus, who had come to Jesus by night and had been told, told you must be born again of water and the Spirit to enter the kingdom of heaven. <clears throat> and then, of course, on that third day, that Sunday, the incredible resurrection of Christ. That is the gospel. The death burial and resurrection of Christ. We read about that in all four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. That famous scripture in John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he what? He gave. He gave. When we talk to our kids on that Christmas Day morning, I'll ask them a question. Do you know why we give gifts on Christmas Day? And it's because it started with God. It's because God gave the greatest gift. When he gave his one and only son. Jesus himself said, I've come to seek and to save the lost. I've come not to be served, but to serve. And to give my life as a ransom for many. Paul himself describes and, and delineates what the gospel really is. Specifically stating, this is what the gospel is. To the church at Corinth. And he says, it is the death and burial and resurrection affirmed by the appearances of Jesus Christ. That is the gospel. 
God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. That is the gospel of Christ. And so that leads us to the question, so what? It's a wonderful story, Bill. What difference does it make for me? What does it call me to do? What do I have to do to accept that gospel, to make it something that the blood that we celebrated up here, the blood that those thorns created, the the nails and the spear created, what is it that I can do to where I can receive that forgiveness, to where I can go from sin to salvation? And that's basically the question, what must I do to be saved? And that's where we go from the gospel of Christ to the response of faith. The response of faith. There are a lot of scriptures on your outline, and we won't be turning to those. But we will share what the response of faith is. The book of Ephesians and other places tells us that we are saved by grace through faith. Because you see, one of two things is true. Either Jesus died on the cross for our sins. Everybody sins all of all time, no matter what. Whether they accept him or not. Whether they spit in his face or not. Whether they believe in him or not. His blood covers everybody, no matter what. Or, or there is an answer to the question, what must I do to be saved? What is the response of faith to the gospel of Christ. And we have lots of different things that are said about that. We have lots of different people and preachers and religions and churches that share all kinds of different things about that. And the question that you and I want the answer to is, okay, what does the inspired Word of God say about that? What does God say is the response of faith to the gospel of Christ? And it's listed there on your outline. It'll be up there on the screen as well. And the scriptures are there in the bulletin. But it begins with believe. You have to believe. Jesus said, unless you believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. Unless you believe that I am, you will die in your sins. We are called upon to believe in Jesus. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. Secondly, we are to repent. Just as Jesus said, you've got to believe in me. And he said that in a positive way in John 3, 16 and in a negative way. He says the same thing about repentance in the word of God. Unless you repent, you'll also perish like some that they were talking about at that moment in Jesus' discussion had perished. And he also says you must repent and be baptized, every one of you. In the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. We are to believe. We are to repent, which means to change. We are to confess. We are to say, this is what I believe. I believe that Jesus truly is who he says he is. That he is the Son of God. And we are to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. He tells us that's how we make disciples. By baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And continuing to teach them so that they can grow in their new faith. So many scriptures that affirm that baptism is a part of that response of faith. This morning I wanted to share a a few conversion stories. And instead of me telling you about other people's stories, I've asked two of our men to come and very briefly share their conversion story. Tucker Sullivan will be the first one and then Stan Clark will follow him.
Good morning. I was really excited whenever Bill asked me to do this. Um, I don't do it enough, and so I'm excited to share it with y'all. So for anyone visiting for the first time, my name is Tucker Sullivan. I'm the youth minister here at West Sterwin, um, and I graduated from college with a degree in accounting. Now, how did I end up in youth ministry? I want to share that with y'all just a little bit. So I was, starts way back a long time ago, November 2nd, 1998. Um, is whenever I was born, and I can guarantee you that I was one of those babies who very first day, very first Sunday home from being in the hospital, I was probably in that church pew. Now, I don't remember that for a fact because my memory gets a little foggy from 1998, but um, I I grew up in one of those families. I I grew up with uh, two parents who loved the Lord a lot. Um, they were at church any time that they could be. And they set a great example for me, not just by talking about their faith, but by truly living it out. And so from basically what I'm saying is my whole life I grew up uh, in the church. And from a young age, I, I liked going to church. I, I liked going. I enjoyed uh, Sunday school. I enjoyed VBS. I liked all these different parts of it. But really it wasn't until around middle school that I started to, started to get it a little bit more. Um, it was that time whenever my faith started uh, taking on a life of its own. Um, I started to not just want to know more about Jesus. You know, I, I knew some about Jesus. I knew the different things I had memorized and different things I had heard in class. But I didn't want to just know more about Jesus. I wanted to actually know Jesus myself. I wanted to have a relationship with him. And uh, in middle school, you know, like I said, though growing up in, in Sunday school, you've got uh, little memory verses that you, you memorize. Uh, for me in middle school, I, I started writing out my own on note cards and hanging it on the fridge just because I wanted to know Jesus more and more. It was middle school whenever I started going to church camp, and I loved church camp. I loved the worship. I loved the fellowship, the uh, time spent with other friends who loved Jesus also. Um, some of my best friends that I made at church camp are still some of my best friends today. But it was my eighth grade year whenever stuff really started to pick up for me. I was, I was super into Jesus. I liked him a lot. I was trying my best to live for him. Um, but there were a couple things that I was still hung up on. And one of the things was being baptized. And honestly, I was, I was really scared to be baptized. I wanted to be baptized. I felt like I knew what it meant. Um, but I was scared. And the reason why is because I didn't have a very good understanding of grace. I thought... You know, I'm going to be baptized, and then I think I'm going to mess up again. <laughs> you know, I, I was scared about that. I was scared that I wasn't going to be perfect after giving my life to him in baptism. Um, I just didn't understand. But then it was December 2nd. It would have been December 2nd, 2012. Um, I heard a lesson given at the Stillwater Church of Christ, actually, um, and I felt like it was speaking directly to me. Now, I don't remember a ton from the sermon, but I'll tell you what I do remember. There was an illustration that the preacher used about windshield wipers. And what the illustration was, was whenever you've given your life to Christ, whenever you've received the Holy Spirit, whenever you've been baptized, life is still going to keep coming at you. You're, gonna, you're not going to be perfect. Sin is still going to come your way. You're still going to fall short. Um, but whenever you've got those windshield wipers, whenever you've got the blood of Christ, it wipes it all away right? You don't have to go be baptized over and over and over again every time that you mess up. 
And, you know, that's exactly what I needed to hear. So I was baptized the very next day, actually. It was uh, December 3rd, 2012, so I just turned 10. Thanks, guys. Um, It's just my birthday. But I was baptized. It was between 11 and midnight that night after an eighth-grade basketball game. I was ready. Um, The water was probably filmy and green afterwards, but I came up feeling clean. And that was an amazing, amazing moment for me. Um, And I was right. You know, I was right. After I was baptized, I was far from perfect. I messed up. I sinned. I continue to mess up. I continue to fall short. Um, But what a blessing, what a joy it's been for me to be able to relearn um, the gift of grace, the gift of God's love over and over and over. And uh, it's been my greatest joy. So thank you guys. June the 21st, 1961. That was a Wednesday night, and that is the, the date that I obeyed the gospel. I was 12 years old. Some people would say, now what does a 12-year-old boy know about the church, Christianity, the Lord, Scripture? Well, you might be surprised. My life changed dramatically two years prior to this. In February 1959, my dad passed away unexpectedly. And I can tell you that a a 10-year-old boy, uh, it created a large void in my life. And I can tell you that a 10-year-old child, whether they be boy or girl, needs a father figure in their life. It's a difficult time. So following my dad's death, my mother, my little brother, myself, we moved from Fort Worth to Marshall, where our family was. We moved in with my aunt and uncle, my grandmother, and my three boy cousins. That's nine people if you do your math right. That's nine people in a small house. We were close. Uh, My Uncle Hugh, he was a used car salesman, World War II pilot, and a part-time gospel preacher. Uncle Hugh was always traveling to little congregations on Sundays and Wednesdays. And it was a thrill for my brother, myself, and my three cousins and Uncle Hugh getting into one of his used cars off the lot and traveling to places like Tatum, Rocky Branch, Orr City, Karnak, numerous little towns in northeast Texas where he would fill in. He was always available. If we didn't travel with Uncle Hugh on a particular Sunday, Uncle Hugh made sure that Philip, my oldest cousin, and myself took notes on the sermon. He wanted to make sure we were listening. 
So we had to turn those notes in on, on three-by-five index cards, and Uncle Hugh would take those notes, put them in a file box, and he would use them periodically uh, in the sermons that he would preach as, as he traveled around. Now, fast forward two years, back when I was 12. It was Wednesday night. Uncle Hugh was filling in at the South Washington Church of Christ, and he was preaching a lesson on Acts 8. You're all familiar with the lesson, Philip and the eunuch. I still remember it. I can close my eyes, and I can hear him, and I can see him teaching this lesson. I was impressed with the urgency that the eunuch showed once he heard Jesus preached. I suddenly realized at 12 years old, I know more scripture than that eunuch did. And I'm thinking, now wait a minute. He heard the gospel preached. They came to water. He asked Philip, here's water. What hinders me to be baptized? And, of course, Philip said, if you believe, you may. And he said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. They both went down into the water. Philip baptized the eunuch. At that moment, in Uncle Hugh's lesson, I knew that I had reached the age of accountability. It was like a bolt of lightning. I knew I was there, that I understood what sin was. I had an immediate desire to be baptized. This was a Wednesday night. I didn't wait till Thursday. I didn't want to wait till Sunday. I didn't want to make another date where it would be convenient. I wanted salvation immediately. I have never understood when a man or a woman understands that they're lost and they need salvation, that they put that off. We never know. We have no insurance on tomorrow. Glenn's wife is a pure example of that. It can happen to any of us. When you're ready, you need to act. Well, I stepped out, and I walked forward, and I made the good confession, and uh, Uncle Hugh baptized me for the remission of my sins. Now, 61 years later, I try to walk in the light as Jesus is in the light, as y'all do, understanding that believing in Jesus and believing that that blood of Jesus continually cleanses me from my sin. I believe that, and I know you do too. You know, Bill, my message to anyone who has not obeyed the gospel, do it now. Jesus said, 
He that believes and is baptized shall be saved. He that believeth not shall be condemned. Now, you cannot sugarcoat that. If you do not obey the gospel, failure to obey the gospel means you have no hope of salvation. That's not Stan Clark saying that. That's what the Lord said. The only thing in a person's future who does not obey the gospel is an eternity in hell. I would encourage anybody when they have the opportunity and they believe just like that eunuch believed, do it now. You notice the eunuch did not want to ride another mile in that chariot. Once he, Jesus was preached to him and he understood about baptism, right the first place they saw water, that was it. What hinders me? The eunuch is a great example. And I'll close with this. Like Henry Lewis used to say over in Canton, Y'all remember him. I'll meet you at 2 in the morning if I know you're coming. You know, I'm just a member here at West Irwin like many of you are. But I'll tell you this. I'll meet anyone, anytime to study and hopefully baptize you into Christ. It doesn't have to be the preacher. It doesn't have to be one of the deacons. It doesn't have to be an elder. I'm available. So, Bill, that's my story, and I'm sticking to it. <clears throat> Thanks, brother. Thank you, my friends. What a powerful, powerful message from both. Let me say two things, and then we'll go to the last point and close. Number one, if you have not done what Tucker and Stan shared about, what we have preached about today, do that. Do it today if you're ready. If you're not ready today, then talk to one of us and get ready because that is the most important decision and the most important action that you will take for your entire life because your eternity depends on it. And secondly, if you have done that and you have children or grandchildren or great-grandchildren and they have not heard your story, fix that. Tell them. Find the right moment, find the right time. Maybe it's Christmas Day when everybody's together. Maybe it's this afternoon when you say, what did you think of Mr. Stan and Mr. Tucker's stories? Let me tell you mine and tell them. By all means, tell them. We go from the gospel of Christ to the response of faith to the promise of heaven. And I, I can't help but think, Brother Cobb, of your wonderful wife seeing her on the back of the pew in the chapel on our Wednesday night class, seeing her back there where Brother Cobb is today, the promise of heaven. Jesus said there would be a resurrection of the good and the evil, one resurrection in John 5. He promised his disciples and he promises us today that I'm going to leave, but I'm going to come back for you because I'm going to prepare a place for you. In my Father's house are many what? Mansions. And we're going to sing that great hymn as we close today. 
Jesus says, I'm preparing one for you. The promise of heaven is real. The promise of heaven should impact how we live our lives today. It's not just about being in heaven. It's about living faithfully here now. With that blood of, blood of Christ, with that windshield wiper washing away our sins, continually cleansing us. But we live faithfully to Christ. Not perfectly, but we trust Him and we seek to have an impact for him in every way, whether it's a special contribution or a wonderful church fellowship party tonight or whatever it might be. We let that promise of heaven impact how we live our lives today. For me, I remember the next day after I was baptized wondering why nobody in the ninth grade at South San San Antonio High School could tell that something incredibly mysterious and wonderful had happened to me, but they couldn't. They couldn't see it physically, but hopefully they could see it emotionally and perhaps over time. And we all want to let that promise of heaven, that gospel of Christ, be seen in our lives. And that's the sermon next week, going from sorrow to joy, living that new life. You know, I want to close with this thought. The best thing about heaven is the worst thing about hell. It gets back to a little bit of what Stan and Tucker were saying. The best thing about heaven is the worst thing about hell. I got to tell you, there's a lot of questions I have about heaven. I'm not sure. I have an ongoing discussion with a longtime friend of mine in Arlington because she says, Bill, though, When the Bible says there's golden streets in heaven, there's going to be golden streets. And I tell her, well, Glenel, that could be symbolic. And she says, no, 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 no. I'm going to stand on them. I'm going to walk on streets of gold. And I'm telling her, Glenel, if you're right, I'm great with that. So long as we're both there. Because you see, Jesus is going to be there. And this I do know about heaven. And this I do know about hell. The best thing about heaven is the worst thing about hell. The best thing about heaven, Jesus is there. That's where I want to be. That's where I want you to be. And the worst thing about hell, no matter what else is true, Jesus will not be there. This morning, if we can help you respond in faith to the gospel of Christ and receive take hold of the promise of heaven. Come as we stand and sing this great hymn. When we walk with the Lord